welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. Hello there. As you can see, it's another lazy day here. <laughs> another lazy day here. And um, so I saw in the news today, uh, yesterday actually, that they found some secret, this is the latest man, they found some uh, lost documents of Albert Einstein, where Albert Einstein expressed some uh, racist ideas, some racist uh, opinions, impressions on things. So, you know, I, I think racism is, is uncool. I think that's a erroneous, uh, hateful, and collectivist way of perceiving things. Um, however, I do also acknowledge that this is a different time. Uh, we live in a different time period with different uh, social norms. Um, and, and people aren't quite as like uh, tribally separated from each other as they used to be back in the old days. So um, being not a complete uh, nitwit, I'm aware that, that people thought about things differently um, back in the day. So, you know, it, here's, here's the thing that, that bothers me about this is that the next thing that, that this is going to lead to is they're going to come out, you know, you're, you're going to say, well... What about the theory of relativity? And and someone, some uh, social justice warrior is gonna, oh, I'm sorry, guy. It's gonna respond and say, um, theory of relativity, what? That's like some patriarchal, like race, racist, like um, ideology information. You know, that's not relevant because Einstein was a racist, so. So this is how it goes. I mean, this is already what's happening um, with the um, liberal uh, university-inspired um, you know, campaign against uh, gender-specific pronouns. Um, is that they're in the you know, movement towards gender neutrality and things? Is that it's like try, they're trying to um, dis, they're, they're essentially denying um, science. Um, in order to push a uh, an essentially postmodernist kind of agenda, and so I saw this in the news and I thought that's an interesting uh, example of you know where things are going. So don't be surprised, my friends. More and more, I think this is not a matter of like trying to change things or fight for um, the truth anymore, but it's a matter of preparing the self to survive and endure. Um, the, uh, the darkness and chaos that is most assuredly coming. Um, another thing that I think is interesting uh, in recent news is that the uh, Strange Angel show on CBS premiered, um, which is a, uh, a uh, series documenting the life of um, Jack Parsons, the uh, inventor of rocket fuel who was uh, also a Thelemite, a disciple of Aleister Crowley in the days when Crowley was 
alive and the OTO was, you know, was happening with the, the, the teacher there. And I think that this is interesting because um, not a lot of people are aware, even though it's no secret and it's written about in his biographies, is that Jack Parsons was a libertarian. And by that I mean he was a straight up, um, you know, libertarian, reading the, you know, libertarian, subscribing to the libertarian ideas. Um, that were out there at the time, Albert J. Nock and Bastiat and H.L. Uh, Mencken, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. And, and he wrote about this in his, uh, in a book called um, Liberty is a Two-Edged Sword. And he talks about his beliefs about libertarianism, which are, you know, straight up about um, the government. He minces no words about it. Um, so there is no doubt that he was absolutely a libertarian, but of course this is completely overlooked. All the people that love Jack Parsons and think he's so cool, you know, because of the rocket fuel and the sex magic and all of that, uh, really uh, overlook that or, or turn a blind eye to that fact, don't emphasize that fact. And I think it's really significant. I think it's very worthy of note. So why is it worthy of note? Is well, because what is the source? What was the source of Jack Parsons' philosophy? What was the source of Jack Parsons' metaphysical perspective on the universe? Well, clearly that came from Aleister Crowley in the Book of the Law. Now, um, as I recall uh, from having uh, looked into this before, Crowley's opinion on when, when Parsons became more uh, more libertarian. This is like towards the time of his eventual falling out with Crowley and his falling out with, um, you know, he also had a big falling out with uh, the uh, Scientology guy, L. Ron Hubbard, like ripped him off real bad. Like he ripped off everyone. I mean, Jack Parsons was one of the first people to get seriously fucking ripped off by uh, that shyster um, and huckster and collectivist L. Ron Hubbard. Um, so he was kind of like on an, he was kind of in a branching out on his own sort of period in his initiation and in his life when he became more and more vocally libertarian. And um, Alice Crowley at the time was kind of you know I don't I don't make such a big deal about all that and 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 and, and not really with him on that. But you know Crowley you know you know Crowley's Crowley. So um, you know for one thing he's not going to be that much into anything that. Uh, he didn't come up with first so but here's the thing a lot of these libertarian ideas uh, there are they are directly out of Crowley it's not that far off from it and um, if you were at my uh, talk in uh, Portland in April or if you got to listen to the recording of it, which is on uh, the last episode of Damonosophy 2.0, if you haven't heard it yet, I urge you to go check it out and subscribe to the podcast while you're at it. Um, but during my talk there, I, I touched briefly on on Crowley and the Lima and the law of do what thou wilt um, as being a, a fundamental idea uh, of the left-hand path, and I consider him, though he didn't uh, really, you know, define himself um, with that terminology. I do consider Crowley to be a, a founding father of the left-hand path, as it were, because of the Lima and because of the law. Do what thou wilt. So, what I like about that 
is that um, I can make statements about that. It's all verifiable in his stuff. So I wanted to share uh, share some uh, some Crowley with you here. And this is out of uh, this is out of the Book of the Law. This is my awesome copy of the Book of the Law, which was given to me many years ago by a very good friend of mine. And um, this is uh, it's a great great little book. I carry it with me. Uh, on vacation and stuff and, and carry it at your pocket book of the law it's wonderful um, and this is like all the standard book of the law it's the same print as everything it's uh, published see as a standard you know published by the Ordo Templi Orientis and everything um, and there's just one I mean there's all kinds of great stuff in here I'm, I'm gonna look at the introduction to it and this is written in 1938 this is the introductory material to the uh, to the book of the law. Ilsa, hey, hey, she's getting excited about this. So, this is uh, chapter five, the next step. He says, "Democracy daughters, ferocious fascism, cackling communism." equally frauds cavort crazily all over the globe so right there he's putting uh he's saying that fascism and communism are equally fraudulent there's no oh well fascism is a little bit worse than communism because it was racist or you know communism is a little bit better because um, they cared about equality He's dismissing them both as completely fraudulent. He says, they are hemming us in. In other words, they're taking over everything and they're gradually isolating us, who are we, we're the free people, we're the thinking people, we're the conscious people, we're the people who embrace Thelema. They are abortive births of the child, the new Aeon of Horus. In other words, uh, fascism and communism are both phenomena that arise out of the Aeon of Horus, but they're part of, but they're bad results of the Aeon of Horus. They're negative results. They're mutant results of the Aeon of Horus. And this is something that he talked about, and this is also something about in, in Setian literature, if you look at the uh, Book of Coming Forth by Night, that hardware is a confused and fitful presence. There's like a positive, playful, crown and conquering child aspect of it, but then there's also um, a, a, a the, the brat, the jealous uh, child, uh, the cruelty um, of children is also all wrapped up in hardware. And he's saying that fascism and communism are some of those negative manifestations of it. And then he says, liberty stirs once more in the womb of time. In other words, liberty, principle of liberty, which if you listen to my podcast, you know this is an important point, is uh, appearing again. There's an opportunity for liberty is arising at the same time that these negative anti-liberty forces are emerging. And he says, evolution makes its changes by anti-socialistic ways. Okay, so now he, he's using the term socialism to refer to both of these things, fascism and communism. 
That's important because a lot of people will try and make a distinction about this. If you say communism is is a is a bad thing, or or cultural Marxism is a negative influence, they'll try and make a distinction. Well, no, that, you know, communism that's like different. Socialism, social democracy is a different kind of thing because it cares about equality and and helping uh, helping the poor and downtrodden and uh, you know getting rid of uh, inequality and all of this sort of thing. And what Crowley is saying is that not only is is that is, is socialism even part of the of the problem, but that evolution only occurs in opposition to socialism. This shouldn't be that hard to understand. Evolution can't if if you know one of the goals of socialism is uh, total equality that everyone is like equal. Um, that's a goal very much a stated goal. This is written into legislation. I'm not going out on a limb here. Um, but if everyone is equal, how can there be evolution? How can anything change? How can anyone evolve? How can you individually subscribe to a philosophy or an initiatory system based on personal evolution if you believe that everyone must be equal? It's a complete contradiction here. And he says the abnormal man, he's in quotes, the abnormal man who foresees the trend of the times and adapts circumstance intelligently is laughed at, persecuted, often destroyed by the herd. But he and his heirs, when the crisis comes, are the survivors. So what he's saying there is the person who, who sees through all this, all the facade of, of uh, socialism um, which is the same as what, you know, it's, it's the lie. It's the false veneer that's over everything, right? And you can see through that. It's the same as what uh, Zarathustra called it the lie. He called it the druge. Um, you know, Gurdjieff referred, referred it to, to it as uh, the uh, uh, mechanicalism and the organ kunda buffer that causes us to see everything in the world uh, upside down, as it were. And he says, if you, you're the one who sees through this, then you will be persecuted. You will be the one who's laughed at. So this goes back there's a, uh, to, to a lot of things. There's a lot of stories, a lot of um, you know, uh, fables that um, connect with this idea. One of them is a, a Sufi story. There's an old Sufi story um, that that um, an angel once visited this man and he warned, gave the man a warning. He said, soon all of the water on earth is going to be, or in the land, is going to be uh, polluted and it's going to be turned into water that makes men crazy. And so he's given this warning. It's kind of like a Noah and the flood like type thing. He's given this warning that you can escape this. And so the man says, oh, okay. So he goes and he like hides up a bunch of the water and he takes it all up into a cave, you know, he has good water up in the cave. And then the day comes and indeed, you know, something happens, you know, uh, a demon or God or whatever comes and he pollutes all the water. And now everyone drinks the water, they go crazy. They turn into fucking raving lunatics. Um, and so, you know, he's safe. So he, sa he stays up in his... Um, 
stays up in his cave, drinking his good water, staying sane. But then what happens is, um, is he starts to get lonely. And he goes down and tries to talk to other people. And it's like, oh, they're all fucking crazy. They're all talking bullshit and nonsense all the time. And so he can't relate to anyone. Um, but he's happy because he's still sane. And eventually what happens after, you know, several weeks or a month, he can't take it anymore. He can't take being alone and, and, and not being able to communicate with anyone anymore. So what does he do? He leaves the cave, he goes down, he drinks the bad water, and he becomes insane. And so then he can talk to all the insane people. And that's it. That's the moral of the story. And this is the kind of scenario that Crowley is like alluding to here. He's saying that if you're awake, then you're going to be persecuted and laughed at by everyone. And the temptation is to go and drink the water, drink the Kool-Aid, as it were, and join them all. And that's what they make you do. That's, that's one reason why, um, you know, this SJW uh, movement, they, they're attacking on this front of words. Like you have to use the right words and don't you use the wrong words. And they want you to do that. And so, so many people say, oh, it's so much easier. I'll just, you know, I'll just start saying their words. Even though they're completely wrong and illogical and fallacious and stupid. Um, and so people will just join them because they don't want to be laughed at and scoffed at. And they don't want to be trolled every time they go online and mention any, mention the word, you know, freedom or, or something online. Um, but what Crowley says when he says that he and his heirs when the crisis come are the survivors so here's the thing the lessons of liberty the lessons of Thelema the lessons of do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law will save you against this they will give you the substance to be able to survive this coming time period when all of this, when all of the lie becomes worse and worse and worse until it just overcomes everything. And eventually it will, it will result in total destruction. Um, it, it, that's the only way it can result in. We've seen this happen numerous times. We've seen how um, it, it resulted in, you know, millions of people suffering and, and dying, incredible loss of life over the last century. Uh, in places like, um, you know, Maoist China and Soviet Russia and, and World War II. Um, and it's like the ebb, it's like ebb that direction. It keeps going and ebbing that direction. It goes a little bit further every time. Then it flows back, then it ebbs a little further. And eventually it's going to ebb real far to where there's just going to be a mass cataclysm. And so, and what he is saying here is that, is that basically the few will survive. Uh, in Setian terms, we talk about these as, as, as being the elect. This is why Set says, let my great nobles be brought to me so that I may strengthen them against the coming peril because only the elect may hope to survive the coming peril. Why, because they're gonna be protected? No, but because the teachings and the super substantial influences that you receive from following the true initiatory path give you something that will allow you to survive this and, and be able to enter into uh, what Zarathustra called it, Frasho Kareti, the great making wonderful. So, 
Um, that's enough about Armageddon, so I'll move on. Um, well, he says, above us today hangs a danger never yet paralleled in history. And he's referring to the coming peril, right? And, you know, here's where I have to point out everything I just said. You gotta keep in mind, this is written in 1938. This is before World War II. World War II ain't even happening yet. It's like all oh, the shit, like 1938, like all the shit's like gearing up for it. You know, they're seeing all these superpowers, all these socialist superpowers arising. And uh, they're about to like fucking go in, in for it. And he's like seeing it all go down. But I mean, he has no idea how bad it was going to get. And he had no idea of the subsequent wars that would continue to occur and certainly no one ever foresaw in 2001 America would march into this this uh, Iraqi war crisis and all of a sudden the world is in a in a war a constant state of warfare for like 16 years that we haven't gotten out of yet we've been in war now longer than at any other time in in modern history um, and can't you see no one cares no one even acknowledges it they don't even talk about it on the news anymore, but I mean, they're still sending troops to, to Afghanistan, all over the Middle East. Um, it's still going on. Anyhow, I mean, what, what Crowley is reacting to is like very like light compared to where we are right now. So that makes it all the, <clears throat> makes his words seem all the more uh, prophetic and relevant. So he continues, he says, we suppress, you know, above us today hangs a danger never yet paralleled in history. We suppress the individual in more and more ways. We think in terms of the herd. War no longer kills soldiers, it kills all indiscriminately. Now isn't that, I mean, like I was saying, uh, he had no idea there. And, 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 you know, World War II hadn't happened yet. He's referring to like the killing of civilians that kind of started in, in World War One, like a little bit, but nothing compared to... He hadn't seen America dropping bombs on Dresden. Just bombing a... Let's just bomb a city of civilians. That'll bring them to their knees. Or dropping a fucking nuke on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Let's just destroy this whole city. Just nuke them. That'll stop. That'll bring them to their knees. That'll show them. That's so unparalleled in modern history. You know, warfare, you know, civilized warfare, as they call it throughout the Enlightenment, there was this ethic about not killing civilians. You know, um, you know, they, 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 people used to like go out to watch the war, like civilians, they'd be like, oh, well, the French and the Prussians are like fighting over there in that valley. So people from the village, they'd take a picnic lunch and go sit on the hill, watch the, um, you know, watch the, uh, you know, Prussians and the French, like, uh, fight it out. And and they felt safe doing that because they knew that the, the, we're, we're had, we have civilized warfare. They're not going to attack civilians. They only attacked other soldiers. That all went to hell. In the modern era, the modern era, it got worse. Post-enlightenment, it got worse. S killing civilians is totally on the table. And they make a thing about that, you know, Geneva Conventions, or we don't do civilians, but I mean, you know, Guantanamo Bay, it's all these people are civilians. Um, and, and, you know, um, 
the whole thing with you know Obama like signing off on drone strikes. That's to strike uh, or signing off on his kill list uh, for drone strikes against uh, U.S. citizens uh, who haven't had a trial. I mean, this is all killing civilians and non-combatants. It's very much a common thing now. Crowley had no idea of any of this shit when he wrote this. He had no idea how bad it was going to get. He says, every new measure of the most democratic and autocratic governments is communistic in essence. It is always restriction. So, I mean, this is where he's saying, like, if you think that uh, your American uh, government is somehow not socialistic or you think democratic socialism is somehow not socialistic or somehow not collectivist, you're wrong. They all are. If you real, if you get woke and you see how socialistic America became under FDR as he, as he pushed us, tricked us into World War II, you quickly see that it wasn't like Germans versus uh, English and, and freedom versus like, you know, fascism. It was basically the three great socialistic superpowers coming together to fight it out and decide whose version of socialism was the best. And America won. The American version of socialism is the best. You know, before I left uh, Facebook, I used to get into it with like people on there. If like I mentioned, um, you know, communism or if I mentioned uh, cultural Marxism, I'd get trolled. There'd be a big argument. And I realized that um, now in hindsight, a lot of the people... Uh, a lot of my European friends would get really bent out of shape. And I realize now, looking back on it, that um, I think the reason they thought that is they thought that I was like criticizing Europe. Uh, when really I wasn't. Um, when I criticize socialism, I'm really I'm thinking my big concern is, is America. Um, how bad it is in America and how uh, sad it is America is going down this path. Uh, not out of some kind of weird patriotism thing, but just because, you know, I live here. It sucks. He says, It is always restriction. We're all treated as imbecile children. Dora, the Shops Act, the motoring laws, Sunday suffocation, the censorship. They won't trust us to cross the roads at will. And so, you know, here he's... He's ranting about like all of these laws at the time period that he felt were like restrictive and treat us like children, which my God, it's only like a hundred times worse today, you know? So he's writing this in 1938. This is like in, in America, there's not even an income tax in America. There's no such thing as an income tax. That was all gets implemented in America like a few years later during World War II and then never goes away. He's complaining about all the laws back then. It's like a tenth of the number of laws that we're subject to now. And when he talks about they won't trust us to cross the roads at will, he's like, oh, maybe. He's like worried that someday there's going to be like, you know, street signs everywhere. <laughs> Which, uh, gosh, what would he think today? There's street signs everywhere. We have flat, they flash and tell us walk or don't walk. In Canada or some cities in America, they talk, they tell you walk, don't walk. Just like in Blade Runner. And now people are reliant on that. I've had people like come back at me with that about well, what would we do? It's, it's a new variation on the who will build the roads argument. It's what will we do who, without street signs? Who will give us street signs? What will we do? How would we know when to walk the street, walk across the street if there wasn't a sign there to tell us when to do it? Um, it's just another sign of how they treat us like children and how when they do that, many people 
respond like children and become more like children. He says, fascism is like communism and dishonest into the bargain. Again, there's no difference. Don't waste your time trying to say fascism is worse than communism or communism is a little bit better or Stalinism is worse than Leninism. It's all collectivism. It's all evil. It's all part of the druge. It's all anti-individual, anti-liberty, anti-personal psychocentric evolution. The dictators suppress all art, literature, theater, music, news, that which does not meet their requirements. I mean, what would he think today about, well, we have two news stations, CNN or Fox, and you just decide what tribe you are is what, which, which uh, propaganda device you're gonna like watch. Only gotten worse. But he says, yet the world only moves by the light of genius. In other words, it is only because genius, that's another word for the daemon. Uh, literally, that's where the word comes from. It's like, like Plato, I think, called it the genius. Socrates, oh, one of those guys. Synonymous with that. So it's only through enlightened individualism that the world moves. And indeed, this is where all of our great inventions, all of our great uh, philosophies and great systems of, of, of magic and science and everything, all comes from enlightened individuals working, not from collectivist government bureaucrats and power mongers. They never create anything new or evolutionary. All they can do is take what other people have created, put their label on it, and may distribute it to other people. Or they can use the power of force on people. They can kill people, they can put people on cages, but they don't create anything new and they don't contribute to mankind's evolution. And he says, the herd will be destroyed in mass. So what does he mean by that? Words like this from Crowley, some people have said, oh, well, that's fascist. He's saying he's gonna destroy everyone. Um, but I mean, I don't interpret it like that because if you take it in context with everything else that he's saying on here, he's saying individualism is, is the way of the future, not force and not fascism. So what I, I take this to mean is he's saying that the herd will destroy itself in mass. It will eat itself because it is essentially cannibalistic. It's an essentially cannibalistic system that they're forcing on us. Um, central banking and the welfare state basically create a system where, um, where society like eats itself, consumes itself. It doesn't create anything new of value. There's no new food being created. So we eventually will like eat each other. Um, the establishment of the law of Thelema is the only way to preserve individual liberty and to assure the future of the race. So this is the same thing as um, when I've talked about, um, the, uh, and, and my friend Edward Pandemonium talks about uh, pandemonium as it's uh, referred to in the Diabolicon. This is essentially an anarcho-capitalist uh, society where um, rule of like individuals. Everyone rules themselves. We rule themselves and cooperate. We all understand that the only sin is force, or um, uh, Crowley calls it, in other words, restriction, enforcing restriction on others. Uh, the word of sin is restriction, he says. He says, in the words of the famous paradox of the Comte de Phoenix, 
The absolute rule of the state shall be a function of the absolute liberty of each individual will. Again, each star in the sky, each star has its own space and its own planets that orbit it. And it's amazing, stars don't crash into each other every day. There's plenty of room for all of them. He says, all men and women are invited to cooperate with the Master Therian in this, the great work. So this is where you realize it isn't just a work of making yourself, uh, you know, working on yourself individually, but by working on yourself individually and inspiring others, because that work does inspire others to do the same. Um, that actually is working towards creating a better world, a more enlightened society, which is the complete opposite of what SJWs uh, teach or what the uh, you know activists activism teaches is that you got to go out and like get in people's faces. But this never works. It never has worked. It creates an opposite reaction when people do this because it's aggressive. It's aggression. Um, but they think that by they're uh, allowed this regression, they're forgiven this regression because they think it's for a good cause and they believe they have a uh, good guy badge from it. Well, the reality is they don't really have a good guy badge and they're not really the good guys. Uh, you who look into the self, see yourself and affirm yourself and, and work to come into being, work to create your own path through the universe to remanifest your own holy and individual divine will and to bring into being and remanifest a super substantial state of being you are the good guys you are the ones who are in the end will make the world a better place and help bring about what Zarathustra called Frasho Kareti or the great making wonderful and um, I look forward to seeing you all on the other side and with that I wish you all a happy Friday afternoon. Peace.